Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. On today's show, our focus is going to be on information technology auditing or IT auditing. So in very simple terms, IT auditing refers to the evaluation of the IT infrastructure in a company. So as an example, someone working in IT audit may look at things such as, is the IT infrastructure of an organization robust enough to keep its data safe? Or does a company have the right set of IT tools in place to help the organization achieve its long-term goals and objectives? So the things covered within IT audit vary quite a bit. And to help us understand this area, our guest on today's show is Anish Dubey, who works in the IT audit team at General Electric or GE. GE is an American multinational conglomerate, a Fortune 500 company that operates in a wide variety of segments, such as aviation, healthcare, life sciences, financial services, software, so many different areas. And coming to Anish himself, he has a background in strategy, marketing, and finance. He got his MBA from IIT Delhi, that is Indian Institute of Technology Delhi, based in India, after which he joined GE. Anish is also a member of the Information Technology Leadership Program at GE, which is reputed to be fairly intense and a breeding ground for future executives at the company. So on today's show, Anish will be sharing a lot of details with us to help us understand what a role in IT audit is all about, and also how do leadership programs work and how do they cultivate future leaders at a company. So without further ado, let's see what Anish has to share with us today. Hey Anish, how are you? Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Sonali. Thanks for having me. It's really great to be on this podcast. I listened to some of your earlier podcasts. I was really fascinated by the idea. So I'm really happy you have me here today. Yeah, of course. Glad to hear that, that you like the podcast. It's very new right now. So glad to get the support. Yeah. So I was curious about one thing. Uh, when we were exchanging emails and talking about the podcast, you had mentioned in one of your emails that you were following a screen-free Sunday. So is that something that you do regularly? Well, if my job description says IT audit, it's not surprising that I've spent most of my life staring at a computer screen. A screen-free Sunday or a Saturday, rather, is when I am not working. My job essentially is I am plugged in almost all the time. I'm supposed to respond to emails, whatever are, and we get into the details of how the job functions. But it's, it's almost like a 24-7 engagement. I see. Saturday is usually off day where... There's an internal organization protocol to not really ask people to respond to emails, be available on chat or work in any form. It's, it's a good way to kind of distance yourself from work and I kind of distance myself from screens altogether. Uh, go take a walk, reflect on life, huh. just be outdoors. I guess it's really nice. That's great. And I guess it's also my rebellion against uh, so much connected world we start living in at some point. I, I miss reading books, so... Screen-free Sundays are those activities which do not involve electronic media. No, that's good. I mean, if you can stick to it. Uh, for how long have you been doing it now? 
I've been doing it for the last three months. Uh, I've been in this IT auditor role for almost a year now. Mm -hmm. And at some point I did realize that I need to be away from screens. Mm -hmm. Okay. And are you finding it effective or helpful in any way? So, yeah. Just last week I had a great hike spent time on the beaches of Lake Erie. I did not know the lake was large enough to have beaches. Oh, wow. Okay. But it, was, it was really nice. Okay. That yeah. I spent time by myself reading books or walking. It's been working out pretty well. Yeah. No, it is a trend that I've been hearing here and there recently that a lot of people are now starting to devote at least one week a day to get away from screens and technology in general. So something that I think I might try and do myself. Yeah. It's not exactly like a Sabbath. I don't shun technology. I still do phone calls, talk to my wife, I talk to my friends. But those screens in the sense I'm not consuming media on any sort of a screen. Right. Okay. All right, so Anish, as you heard, I'll be asking you a bunch of questions to try and understand your role in IT audit. So before we get into it, maybe you can give us a little bit of a background on yourself and your career path so far. Sure. So I am from uh, central India in a place called Indore. I did my engineering in the same city. I'm an electronics and communication engineer. From there, I joined TCS. I worked there for a year and a half. The, the job kind of wore out pretty quickly. I was a software engineer for them, but it wasn't super exciting, if I might say that. I quit that job. I tried my hand at a couple of other odd jobs. I was an advertising consultant for a brief period. I taught people English and logic and reasoning for the postgraduate entrance exam preparation. And in the same process, I prepared for my own entrance exams, I guess. And I went to IIT Delhi to do my master's. I did a master's in business administration, majoring in marketing and a minor in strategy. And from there, I joined the GE ITLP program, as you mentioned in the introduction. So the ITLP stands for Information Technology Leadership Program. It's an entry-level leadership program within the company where the people who join the program spend six-month-long stints at various GE businesses working on IT priorities. In my two years there, I spent two six-month stints at GE Transportation. I spent one six-month stint at Barn Water and six more months at GE Lighting. Uh, working on completed disparate projects uh, from uh, implementation of an ERP to implementation of BI tools to commercial software. It was a very interesting experience. And after I completed that program, I joined uh, what is called the corporate audit staff. That's a small select group within the company, which is primarily focused on financial audit as an internal audit function. But within that organization itself, apart from the core financial audit aspect of it, there are certain tracks, as we call them, which have IT audit as a function, the added supply chain as another function, where certain people are aligned to these particular areas and we work on projects and you know, audits related to information technology. That's where I am right now, you know, here in this role. Okay. All right. So a couple of questions on what you just shared. So first of all, I think you mentioned BI tools. What is BI? Oh, I'm sorry. I should expand on acronyms. BI stands for business intelligence. Okay. Uh, the amount of data that a company is generating, it's difficult to consume it raw. So a large part of uh, business intelligence is uh, helping combine multiple data sources and actually create information from that data. Got it. So if I were to, if I were to think of a simple example, let's say you look at your bank account, the, the homepage of your bank account. It's a summary of all your accounts and all your deposits and your credit card statement, all of that in a single screen. 
what it is doing, it's pulling in data from multiple sources and giving you a snapshot view so that you can decide whether you can afford the new pair of shoes this month or you know, can you buy that Xbox or not. Similarly, BI tools help collect that data and help make corporate decisions around what kind of processes need to be prioritized or any business decision for that matter. Right. Okay. All right. So just to summarize what you mentioned uh, in terms of your background, you have a background in engineering, then you spent a few years working um, as an engineer, you got your MBA, and then you joined GE in the leadership program, the IT leadership program, which was for two years. And then you've been working in IT audit for about a year or so. That's so, correct. yeah. So question on that. First of all, what is a leadership program? <clears throat> That's an interesting one. Usually these go with the brand name of management training programs in various corporations across the world. GE is kind of known to have pioneered internal leadership development. And uh, GE has, I guess, 10 or 11 entry-level leadership development programs and then a bunch of other mid-level and high-level leadership development programs. The entire intent is to identify high-potential candidates and put them through a rapid series of learning experiences where they expose them to multiple projects, multiple working scenarios, and expect them to learn fast, deliver fast, and move on so that by the end of a leadership program stint, you have had very good exposure to the spread of the business worked on different kind of priorities, you start learning how to add up the story of how a corporation works. And it's, it's kind of a fast track learning program. It's you well to be a, a leader in the sense where you can make decisions with the full context of the businesses that you've worked with. Okay. And usually these programs are for about two years or so, as you said? Yes. Most of the entry-level programs are two years. I can mention a couple of others, just like the IT leadership program. There's a finance entry-level equivalent. It's called the FMP, mm-hmm. the financial management program. There's an operations program, which is called the operations management leadership program. Mm-hmm. There's the OMLP. Uh, there's an HR function. There's an engineering uh, leadership program. It's called the Edison Engineers program. These are all within GE. These are all entry-level programs within GE. Right. Both of them, all of them are two years long and they usually have four month stints or six month stints that rotate you across businesses and projects. Okay. So actually a quick clarification, I'm guessing that a lot of other companies in other industries also have leadership programs. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what is it about a leadership program? I was just reading about the GE's leadership program, specifically the IT leadership program, and it, it suggested that many current leaders were actually a part of the leadership program at the beginning of their careers. So what right. is it about a leadership program that is so good or have, so manages to cultivate leaders? Program, uh, right, so if I were to think of a leadership program in comparison to what might be called a quote-unquote regular job, but the difference usually is in the boundaries of the area you work in. So a regular program manager's job or a regular engineer's job would be limited by certain industry scope or certain work scope on which they would have to incrementally deliver year over year, which is a great job. We need these specialists to actually drive the business. But if you were to think of a large conglomerate like GE, from a leadership perspective, you are looking at people who have diversity of experience, who know not just about the specific business that they are working with, but they know the more global context of the multiple PLs that the business works with and how it interacts with the world economy. 
So what you're looking for is people who have experience working on different priorities across different PLs so that you can extrapolate that information and kind of boil that up and make better business decisions. Right, makes sense. A, lead, a leadership program would get you into these stressful situations across businesses. They would make you work on different priorities and they would expect you to learn quickly and deliver quickly because as I said, leadership programs tend to be six months long. Right. That rotation, I guess, helps developing leaders, and that, that might be debated again with a, with a completely different mindset that says specialists drive business versus generalists drive business. But it has it has worked historically for GE and even for other large conglomerates which have leadership programs. Mm-hmm. Okay, a quick follow up question on that: Can you give us an example of the kind of stressful situation that you might be put into? You don't have to share a real example from GE, but just to give us an idea. Okay, so again, taking the conglomerate view, there are a ton of transactions happening where a large company like GE buys and sells smaller businesses across the world. And if you were to think of it, GE is a single listed entity in the US. It's all the conglomerates, uh, various other PLs spread across 170 countries have to roll up to one balance sheet at the end of it. Now think of it from a technology perspective the challenge of rolling up local accounts from a country like Kazakhstan, which has a completely different tax regime, to a consolidated balance sheet reported out of Fairfield, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. The amount of technology required there is huge. Now, if I were to acquire a business, a small manufacturing unit in, again, taking the example, a small manufacturing unit in Kazakhstan, how do I incorporate their local systems so that their accounting feeds well into my corporate systems and that accounting accurately rolls back up to my disclosures, to my shareholder costs and all of those things. At the same time, remaining compliant both with the local laws in the country you operate with and the federal laws in the U.S. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes so, sense and sounds example, pretty complicated. ITLP assignment would be, yeah, it is. So as a part of, say, an ITLP assignment, I might be working with a team that is implementing an accounting software at one of these acquisitions. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So, and then usually, what is the duration? A duration of time that you would get to figure it out? So it's usually six months. The length of the actual project might be greater. So, taking an example of an enterprise resource planning implementation, an ERP implementation life cycle is usually a year long. Okay. Uh, but as a leadership program employee, you're plugged in at any given state of this project, and you're supposed to figure out solutions for the problems being faced at that point of time and drive it to closure within the duration of six months. Got it. Okay, so that was a good introduction slash detailed account of uh, what a leadership program is. And maybe we'll get into more details as we go forward in the conversation. But as you said that you did the leadership program for two years and then you joined the IT auditing team. So what is IT auditing, first of all? Right. So before getting into IT auditing, I'll, I'll just take a step back and kind of tell you what part of the organization I am right now. I'm a part of corporate audit staff, which is conglomeration of IT auditing, financial auditing, and a couple of internal strategic initiatives, which include supply chain initiatives and you know digital initiatives. So the corporate audit staff is a very small group of people. It's around 400 in strength right now. Pulling in associates from the farthest reaches of GE, if I might say that. We do business in 170 countries. These are mostly internal employees who have gone through one or the other leadership program 
at the end of the leadership program, you're given an opportunity to apply for the audit staff. And it's, it's, it can be considered almost like a you know, master's admission process. You go through a bunch of interviews and then you're selected for this program. And in this, I applied for the IT track and I'm a part of the IT audit and projects function. And now to your question, what is IT auditing? So you did mention in the introduction about looking at companies' critical infrastructure and making sure everything's working fine. But if I were to think of the word audit, any audit function exists to reduce enterprise risk. Mm -hmm. As the world gets more digital, the world gets more connected, almost every risk has an IT component to it. Even if I'm looking at significant financial risk, it might stem from completely bad performance of an IT system, which might screw up your accounts so that you cannot report your numbers correctly, or maybe an internal planning software has gone bad, which prevents you from delivering products to your customers in time or processing payroll. Mm -hmm. All of these are genuine enterprise risks, which are heavily dependent on IT systems. As a part of this function, what we are primarily looking at uh, year after year is the key risks, the IT infrastructure the company faces. And when I say IT infrastructure, I just don't mean data centers. I mean softwares, applications, and the entire suite of software that drives the company. Okay. All right. So before we get into more detail on the function itself, what attracted you to IT auditing in the first place? Uh, I guess it was the extension of what attracted me to the leadership program. The itinerant aspect of uh, any leadership program, which is you work on something for six months and then the world changes for you again. So mm. it, is, it is that you're not fixed to a particular place or a particular project. But at the same time, there's this hope of you know something very interesting coming up in your next assignment. So it's the diversity primarily, which was super attractive. And if I might brag about it a little, leadership programs have a tendency of hiring the smartest and the best. It's always fun to work with really interesting people coming from very disparate backgrounds. And then that kind of exposure, that coupled with the size of GE, uh, the places we do business in, these projects get you to travel a lot. As a part of this program, I've been to six countries. Oh, I see. Wow. Okay. So this is because you have to work with people in these different offices? Yes. Okay. And usually for how long do you travel? Uh, it depends. So the length of the project, as I said earlier, from a leadership program perspective, would be six months. Of those six months, you might spend some time on the field at the location where the project is being implemented. You might spend some time at the project management office, which might be in a different place. So the travel extends anywhere from two weeks to the length of the review itself. Okay, so you might be spending months at a time at one place. Yep. Okay, all right. So I think it will be helpful if you can walk us through the end-to-end -end process, like give an example of something that you worked on. As, as you described, IT audit is very broad where you're trying to minimize the risk associated with IT at a company, which is like a huge area. So right. maybe you can give us an example of a project and walk us through the end-to-end -end process. How would you start? What, what would you look out for? And then how, sure. how would you go deeper? Yes. If I were to think of IT-related risks, and if you look at the news these days, almost every company is scared that the data would be hacked, hmm. and they would be in the newspapers about you know everything that has gone wrong with them. Hurts customer and brand value, not to mention actual dollar value lost. Mm -hmm. uh, cybersecurity is a major risk for any enterprise, and 
when you try to break that down, why is cybersecurity a risk? There are multiple components to it. It can be internal threats coming from malicious actors within the company. It can be external attackers, or it can be just bad network. If I have a vulnerable network as a large company, again, if I were to think of GE's network, we own an entire pool of IP addresses, one of the largest pools of IP addresses in the world. And the network, as I said, spreads across the globe. And with every acquisition, every divestiture, we connect to the company we have acquired and we disconnect from the companies we divest. And if these processes are not followed accurately, there might be gaps that might be left in the networks. So one of the projects that I worked on was uh, network security. And we were specifically looking at acquisitions and divestitures to identify what are potential areas where a network might not have been integrated properly or it might not have been disconnected properly. And this is not as simple as just connecting wires. You have to understand network infrastructures in place, what kind of technologies the parent company was using versus what kind of technologies the acquired company was using, how these networks were connected, and what nodes did we connect on. So it does get pretty technical in terms of assessment. Mm -hmm. What we are essentially doing is auditing the process that was done because an IT auditor would not be in the thick of actually implementing an integration, but we would be there checking whether the integration was put in properly. And there are a lot of industry standards, a lot of control documents in place, which outline how it should be done properly. Okay. So just like a financial audit, we take the statement of work. This is how it should have been done. We collect information about how it is actually done. We identify the gaps. We leave an audit opinion with the business saying that you completed this set of tasks satisfactorily or you need improvement or it's completely unacceptable. You have to go do it again. Okay. So that's, that's the usual nature of work, if I might say that. It gets pretty technical uh, sometimes and then other times it might be a super generic approach where you're looking at maybe implementing an industry standard on better network practices or something like that. Okay. And so, can you give us an example of the kind of issues that you might find while you're auditing? An audit function inherently assumes dishonesty of employees. We actually have an internal motto which says, be skeptic of everything. So, when you go look for issues, what you're looking for is, so for any audit, what you have is an audit plan, which usually has a set of controls in place. If I would take the network example again. It says that certain set of tasks should have been followed, a particular set of networks should have been deployed, they should have had, had this minimum configuration in place, and these devices should have been used at a minimum. So the control is usually a bare minimum requirement that this should be met for sure. So we take that control and we then look at documents and the process documentation that the business had created and implement that kind of a control and just do a side-by-side -side match. Now, it seems easy, but it usually is not because getting hold of documentation, we do a lot of interviews to understand how the process was followed, and there is subjectivity to it. We are not high school teachers where you're, you're checking a paper and anything you do not like, you mark it red, because we are also supposed to come up with solutions. If you see a control has not been followed, say, for example, the business chose to purchase low-quality switches to implement the network, which compromises security. 
you have to follow the chain on who made the decision, why was the decision made, and maybe there's business rationale to it as well. Take in all of these complications which come in with implementing such a large network, and from there you identify what is the risk, how do you actually mitigate the risk without uprooting everything and doing it all over again. Got it, got it. That's definitely helpful to understand you know, the kind of issues that you might be looking into. So what you described is something which would be triggered whenever there is an event. And by an event, I mean you acquired a new company or as you suggested, you sold a company. So there's been some significant change taking place in the network and you have to check if that change has been done in the right way. But let's say there is nothing like that going on. Then in those circumstances, what does the audit team look at? Right. So the audit team also does something that's called investigations. Does that talk to the initial uh, cyber risk, which is just the, the fear of being hacked? And the threat actors might be both internal and external. Now, say for example, it was discovered that a large chunk of data went missing. And that data was important to the company. It might be considered intellectual property. It might be customer data. And the assessment of the previous audit team or the assessment at the business was that we don't know how this data got lost. Maybe somebody took it internally. Then what we do is launch an investigation. This is, this is the function of the audit team to do a root cause analysis, identify what were the breaches, why that might have happened, and actually identify if there are suspects. It's, it's something like a federal investigation. It does lead to very severe action as well sometimes. Right. And that is also a part of the audit team's uh, mandate to help businesses conduct investigations. And this is not just for hacking. I mean, investigations, again, span across. It might be bad sourcing practices, somebody doing malicious activity, trying to embezzle the company some money by acquiring low-quality devices or not following protocol and leaving certain network backdoors open for malicious activity later. So all of that falls under the ambit of the audit staff. Okay, okay. So usually when working in IT audit, Security, as you've mentioned, is clearly a big area that you're looking at. So there's always the fear of being hacked either by someone external to the company or someone leaking information who is internal to the company. Are there any other areas that are also usually big areas that the audit team is always looking into? Sure. So when we do audits, what we're looking for is risk. And as I said earlier, large IT infrastructures always run the risk of failing. A perfectly good system might stop working which would cause a disruption, say, in my supply chain, or you know, it would cause a disruption in the way the company functions. So we have what are called a lot of projects. These wouldn't be traditional audits against a control set, but there is a risk, say, that the company has X number of strategic ERPs, and all of these strategic ERPs need to be fully resilient and available all the time. Any of these services failing, is something like in the context of the real world, maybe a Facebook outage. If I can't access Facebook, there are riots. People don't like key services switching off. Right. Similarly, inside the business, if any of our key services stops working, it just disrupts the business. So what we are always looking on is uh, potential services which are deemed critical and how can we make sure that they are robust, they have bare minimum controls to make sure that they can recover from a disaster, any failure, was the nature of the support teams, uh, was the state of the technology, both hardware and software, 
these assessments do not lead to audit opinions. These assessments usually lead to recommendations, which are ranging from technology upgrades to architecture redesigns. Those are another set of priorities that the audit staff works on from an IT perspective. Right. Okay. Now, this is great because it, it helps understand the kind of different areas that you're looking into. If, let's say, that there is an attack on the IT systems of a company, is it the audit team that then reacts? So, let's say a hacker hacks into the system. Is it the audit team which will have to then do something about it? No. The company has an extremely large cybersecurity team spread across businesses, which is the first line of defense. These are the people who respond to attacks. These are the people who close down systems and in a kind of uh, seal our boundaries back again. The audit team is doing two kinds of audits. One is a preemptive audit where we go check whether all security controls are in place. The other is a post-mortem, which can be either an investigation on why something failed. And the second might be if something did fail, can we learn from it and can we spread that across the company infrastructure? And I would take a step back here just to kind of give you a flavor of the complexity involved in the IT systems of a large conglomerate. GE has uh, six key PLs, and each PL is approximately of the size of $20 billion in revenue. Each of these businesses, if I were to give you an approximate number, has around 3,000 IT applications running. These are ranging from email systems to enterprise resource planning systems to engineering systems and manufacturing uh, systems, business intelligence tools smart applications, software that helps customers drag their products, that helps customers service their products. That's the size of applications you're looking at. Say 3,000 applications multiplied by six PLs. That's the size of IT applications we are looking at. Not to mention physical data centers across the globe, network that runs all of these. Just the sheer IT workforce of the 300,000 people in the company, 15,000 are dedicated IT employees whole bunch of them are kind of connected. Yeah. No, I definitely understand it. It is, I mean, it is pretty much the backbone of the company for a lot of the other functions. So it has to be extremely solid. Yep. Okay. And following up on this question, would you say that IT audit is a function that is usually found in big companies and not so much in the smaller and medium-sized companies? Um, there are a bunch of industry standards uh, that require applications to perform in a certain way for all financial institutions in the world i can speak specifically for the united states the fed requires certain minimum controls to be followed by all it applications so uh, to my example earlier your banking application would be following a set of standards set out by the government so compliance is a key part of any audit functions existence reason any company which is exposed to regulatory requirement would have an internal audit function. It might not be called IT audit expressly, but what these people would certainly be doing is making sure they're compliant and making sure that their risks are covered. Yeah, that so to answer sense. your question, the audit function would exist in almost any large company which has substantial IT infrastructure. It might not be called IT audit, but it would be either rolling up under the CIO of the company. It might be called IT security. It might be called a bunch of different names. Right. Okay. That makes sense. No, this is very helpful. And I know you shared a couple of uh, different kind of projects that you worked on. 
but is there any particular project that stands out in your mind either for how challenging it was or how interesting it was anything so as i said earlier i'm a part of the audit staff which is uh, both finance functions and it functions and some supply chain functions all baked in together and the way the audit staff functions the audit staff itself is a leadership development program where we work on four month long projects and we there's an option to switch to a finance role for four months as well at the same time we are also considered as uh, leaders in maybe cultural change driven across company so there was an assignment which came up it's funnily called the idea lab what i was basically tasked to do was do not work for four months there are no project deliverables there are no risk areas you're working on go do something interesting from which the company can learn new things <laughs> that was my mandate that sounds well that sounds deceptively fun i think it's deceptive because it's so vague what did you do that was the scariest part it took me 3 weeks just to start figuring out what do i want to do yeah 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 but it, did it have to be within it audit or it could be anything it could be anything hmm. okay like it was it was so good to be true when i was actually offered the the position for those 4 months is like there are no goals there are no appraisals there isn't a budget cap as long as it's realistic you can go wherever do whatever to talk to whoever and the only requirement was come and teach us something new so what did you end up doing a <laughs> uh, whole bunch of things actually i came up with a, a series of essays around organizational behavior which were specifically focused on the audit staff and how the audit staff functions hmm. as a very top down hierarchical control based organization think of it we are we are an audit function we have to be compliant and whatever we sign off on is considered truth that's something that's reported to our external auditors that's something that's reported to the street we have to be an extremely control based organization just to make sure whatever we are doing is completely vetted out and absolutely correct at the same time a very control based organization stymies innovation so is there a way to find a balance between making sure people do the right thing and they're honest to their jobs and at the same time there aren't a lot of i might say higher management oversight on their day to day tasks because that would then start creating space for individual innovation that might be incremental within their scope of work but if it's a control based organization your boss would say i want this this and this done in the exact same way no innovation no creativity the numbers should match because you know, financial audits and creativity do not go together because then it becomes creative accounting and lands you in jail <laughs> that's true okay yeah all right yeah so uh, i i worked a lot on organizational behavior i was pleasantly surprised to discover that ge employees organizational psychologists phd's in organizational psychology who help the hr function design what might be called organizational culture mm-hmm. how the culture changes percolated within a company as large as ge how the, the initiatives we see inside the company about you know hr policies about leadership development then career development where do they spawn from what is the intent and how does the company actually decide who wants to treat its employees oh cool yeah that's actually a good area to cover on the podcast also very different yep. okay absolutely all right 
right, this is great. Maybe we can now get to some of the more day-to-day aspects of your job. So on a typical day, first of all, what are the kind of activities that are usually spending time on on a typical day? So as I said, we work on these four-month assignments, usually on a very specific problem set, which might be at a particular business. So a typical day would start by standard morning meetings that are internal, that would decide the scope of work for the coming week or the coming month or any upcoming updates that we have with senior leadership. That's one set of meetings. And then, as I said, a large part of our job is uh, collecting information through interviews and documentation. So we have a bunch of interviews and meetings lined up with clients. These would be people within the business who are either the custodians of the information or were a part of the implementation or are part of the project team. So that, that usually takes a large part of the morning. The rest of the day is spent kind of collating that information. There are a lot of updates, if I might say that. As I said earlier, there is a certain amount of control in the organization. So my findings would be reported up to my manager. They would then be summarized and reported up to his manager. And it's, it's a three-level hierarchy. So it's, my manager is the audit manager. His manager would be the senior audit manager. And then there's the executive audit manager. So there's three levels of control just to make sure that the information that is being reported is absolutely correct and true. Wow, okay, yeah. So there is some rigor into that. The morning is data collection and the afternoons are usually analysis. And then, of course, there's a lot of research involved. Because, to be honest, I am not a network expert when I start off the review. And the first two weeks of the four-month piece is just learning as quickly as you can about as much detail as you can get into it. Okay. okay. The learning continues and we have to adapt based on the findings we are getting. Are there inherent risks which were overlooked in the initial audit plan, but something we are finding out? Can we reference this to some sort of external controls or other best practices that you can leverage from the industry? Bringing that up all together into a very coherent story that goes to one aim of reducing risk for the company. If you were to think of your time on a typical day, let's actually talk about this question both first for a day and then maybe for a project. Mm -hmm. But first for a day, if you think of your time as 100%, then how would you split it up amongst the different activities that you just described? On a typical day, we start up around 7, 7.30. Morning meetings usually go up to the day. There's a small working lunch. And then the afternoon is less on meetings, more on the data collation part. The evenings are equally split between update meetings internally and external research and preparing for the next day. The day usually extends up to post-dinner, to be honest. Oh, okay. like even as while I'm talking to you, I know there are a bunch of emails waiting my response. Right, right. I mean, what are your working hours like usually? It's a full engagement for the week. There are no well-defined working hours. But that said, there is a major perk that I have not seen in any other profile in any other industry. So of these four months that I work on a project, each month I'm allowed one week off. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. So one week off, paid leave. That's awesome. Yeah. So during that time, yeah, I guess you can travel or just relax at home, whatever you want to do. Absolutely. Okay. So one week you can take off. The company actually sponsors your trip home if you really to go back home wherever you're from. I mean, that definitely eases the pain, I guess, of uh, the otherwise stressful job. That compensates to the undisclosed working hours uh, of the working weeks. Yeah, yeah, okay. 
And then going back to sort of uh, splitting your key activities into how much chunk of your time they take over the length of a project. And maybe you can say that, you know, if, if you take a typical project, let's say 30% of it is data collection and then 30% is research, whatever the right figures are. So just to understand the broad buckets of activities you're performing on right. a typical project. And I, I can actually break it down very tactically because uh, a typical audit has a very well-defined structure. Talking of the four-month length, where you're looking at around 16 weeks of work. Of the 16 weeks, the first two weeks are something that's called the know your audit. The first two weeks are purely research, very contextual of the area you're working in. You can go to the field at the business location or the client location, wherever that might be. And you spend those two weeks doing extensive research in the current as-is of the area that you're auditing. So you would look up historical documents, you would look up best practices and processes followed by the business. And at the same time, you're doing a lot of external research to kind of benchmark what is the right thing here. That helps you get out how you want to approach the risk. How do you really want to mitigate the risk? First two weeks are pure research, getting to learn, be as much of an expert in the area as possible. Almost assess. So at the end of two weeks, you are making a presentation to the, the executive of manager where you are basically telling him how much you learned of the audit. And it's, it's a grilling session where something like an oral exam in school, you know, yeah. you're supposed to remember numbers at your fingertips. You're supposed to know all key pieces of information. Uh, so it's, it's a pretty grilling session. By hindsight, it's extremely useful because when you go talk to a client or you talk to a business leader, who has implemented the process, they would not value your opinion unless they know you know your, know your stuff. Right. Uh, the next one week is actually spent in practical scoping, which is, okay, I've seen all the documents, I've seen everything that I can see and learn. Now, the 100 tasks that they have done, I humanly cannot assess all 100. So what I would do is I will try and use both intuitive logic and all my research filter out areas of maximum risk and then build a control-based audit plan to approach each of those individual risks. And after the third week, I guess from the third week onwards to week 10 or week 11 is uh, data collection, matching that against the controls, finding opinions, uh, figuring out whether it's correct or not. And since we are an internal function, we are supposed to report our findings, not just to the audit function, but also to the business we are working with. And it's not a good conversation when you're going and telling somebody that, you know what, you did not do your job well enough. Mm -hmm. So there are a bunch of these tough conversations that are included in the, in the data collection and data assessment process. After week 11, week 11 to week 16, it is the consolidation of reports, reporting the final findings and recommendations, and very clearly outlining what the business needs to do to mitigate the risk. And even within these 10 weeks, if we identify a high-risk area, we start working to help the business mitigate that. So we kick off processes where, you know, certain things might need to be redone or certain sourcing aspects need to be renegotiated. Those things start off in parallel. They aren't as much our responsibility as the business's responsibility to act on those. Right. Okay. That was great because that gives a very, very detailed account of the kind of things that you're doing on a typical project and the kind of activities you're engaging in. Um, right. Usually, who are the people that you're working with? Who are the people in your team? Are they other people in IT audit or are you also working with uh, people outside the audit team? So uh, let me start with how the audit teams are structured. Mm -hmm. 
So as I did mention, there's a hierarchy. Every trimester, so four months, stints, three of them per year, each of them is a trimester. Every trimester, uh, based on the most important enterprise risks identified, the executive manager kind of assigns certain groups to certain high-risk areas. These groups comprise of set of associates ranging anywhere from five to ten who have an audit manager assigned. And there would be like three or four audit managers reporting into a senior audit manager. Typically, my team, say if I were to work on a project and I'm right on the lowest rung of the hierarchy, I'm an associate. An associate would have three or four peers and one audit manager. And we work on very individual areas. If I were to go back to the way the audit was structured, once we tactically scope out the high-risk areas of those 100 items, we, we scope down 15 high-risk areas. I personally would own, say, three or four of them. And then I would work with the business counterparts who are custodians of that risk. So these are the people who are either project managers of the process or these are the people who are program managers of that particular PNL implementing that process. Those are the people we work with on a day-to-day -day basis. And then all the findings that we have and all the recommendations we have, we usually very commonly communicate with the CEOs of the business or the CFO of the business or the CIO of the business based on the ownership of the actual task. Right. Okay. We get to skip a lot of hierarchy and that's probably one of the useful aspects of the audit staff is that we can cut through the business hierarchy. If I find something, I can go tell the CEO that, you know what, this sucks, you better fix this. That kind of a reach helps us drive decisions very quickly, which is useful for the business because if we identify a high risk and if it goes through the standard operating speeds, it might take a long time to mitigate, again, considering the large uh, organization that we are. Right, yeah. Because you're working on such critical areas, it is important to give you that reach so that things get done quickly. Right. And at the same time, the important part is to remain independent. Because the audit function, by definition, has to be independent of internal company priorities. <clears throat> what I mean by that is, again, the history of this lies in the financial audit function. If I am working to, say, reconcile accounts of a particular PL, and the CEO of that PL would not want that his accounts look bad, any of his internal accountants might still be coerced into budging numbers up, but the audit team cannot be. That's why the audit team is structured in a way that the entire audit staff reports not to the CEO of the company, but we report to the board of directors. Uh, so there's an okay. entirely independent line of uh, book seekers, if I might say that. Yeah, that, that's a very interesting point. Okay, yeah, I wasn't aware of that. And it makes sense now that you say it, because you are operating as a completely independent body now, who doesn't have to be worried about whether this person will be okay with us revealing this or not. So let's get to some of the more sort of subjective aspects of the role, uh, which is uh, what do you think are the most interesting aspects of working in IT audit? The most interesting part that I like is definitely the variety. Mm -hmm. To be honest, before I joined GE, all I knew GE about was light bulbs and Thomas Edison. <laughs> I think that's probably for majority actually, of people. Right. And when you when you get into the business, you realize the sheer scale at, at which this company operates. It's, it's just fun to discover. I mean, I've been in this company for three years. And believe me, even today, there are things I discover about the company that I do not know that, oh, did we make these products as well? Oh, do we make mining equipment in Australia? I did not know that. So one part of it is 
the sheer size of the company and it's intriguing for me to just see the machinings of such a large organization mm-hmm. that is fascinating the variety as i mentioned earlier is brilliant to be able to work with completely different people in completely different contexts in completely different places when i just to give you a snapshot of things i've worked on over the last 3 years i've been working on like locomotive it systems implementations in kazakhstan to light bulb testing softwares in central china to aviation systems in cincinnati that's that's yeah. great for learning also right i mean you're just learning such different kind of things just personal learning yeah 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 so i actually you know this brings up an interesting point do you think that if someone is interested in it auditing they should try and go work in a big company simply because of the kind of complexity they'll be exposed to i would strongly recommend that that if somebody has a specific appetite for it audit it has to be a large complex it infrastructure because otherwise the learnings would be limited to small companies which have very limited it exposures so you said variety is definitely one area that you find very interesting about working in it audit especially at a large company like ge anything else just learning of technology if you were to think of again a large company we are upgrading our technology at a continuous basis you would see the entire spectrum there still are systems that run on ancient ibm mainframes and there are systems that operate out of the cloud infrastructure there's the entire technology spectrum right in front of you to, to learn and you know, kind of understand the complexities of it to the outside non it world it seems like you know that that function in every organization that makes sure your printers work and your emails reach you in time but there's this so much more depth to it and again coming to the the world we are in today which is extremely connected extremely dependent on technology performing as it should it is just fascinating to see all of those things that go behind making sure these things work effectively and as expected are you also testing out new technologies every now and then oh yeah if we identify a risk and the solution is maybe adopting a completely new technology we are the ones going out in the market and assessing a bunch of software a bunch of technologies and figuring out which one is the best solution so we get to test out a lot of software we get to see a lot of vendors and how they make their software and we can choose which one should ge adopt right are there any aspects of this job that you find particularly challenging uh it's it's a good challenge but as i said earlier the first two weeks of know your audit that is probably the most fun and the most uh, challenging part of any audit you essentially given a 500 page book on something you have never heard about hmm. you're supposed to understand it memorize it and know exactly what you're going to do with your learning in two weeks right from a life logistics perspective it is challenging because uh, this one is a 24/7 traveling job you live out of hotels you move around as and when required you are literally living out of your suitcase i have i've evolved a very minimalistic packing mechanism <laughs> but i i live on the road right if you were to take a guess let's say if you take a year how many months out of a year are you not at home all 12 months all 12 months are you at home right now no right now i am at a at a g transportation location in erie pennsylvania <laughs> okay all right i didn't know that got it okay that's worse than it's consulting the only time I- 
the only time i'm home is on the designated one week leave i get every month oh yeah yeah the so that, the one that, week free leave that you get yep so that's the one week i'm traveling back sometimes to india sometimes to see my wife in new york yeah so i guess this is not for someone who wants to spend their time at home at least a few days in a week yes definitely not recommended okay. so there's a major upside to it you become the most preferred member of all airline and hotel loyalty huh. programs yeah for sure okay yeah <laughs> i'm sure you're like are you uh, 1k what are you what is the highest in united i know there's platinum and i think there's 1k then uh, i don't know if i'm supposed to say that in the public uh, oh. podcast I, i hate united Oh that's okay I think you can say it because uh, pretty much everyone is not very happy with United right now but anyway So well, yeah I I have platinum with a bunch of hotels and a couple of really good preferred airlines Okay so you get the royal treatment you, know, you stay get to go in the fancy lounges and airports get upgraded to business class pretty frequently it's all good fun Right 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 I guess that's compensation only for the, the amount of hours and the effort we put in it's well justified <laughs> and are there any aspects of the job that you just don't like as much uh, my pet peeve is the control based organizational behavior as i did mention earlier i can see the reason why it exists but at the same time sometimes it just gets super tiring to explain yourself in detail to hierarchy after hierarchy where you wonder you know, why don't you just trust me that part is slightly challenging the other part that i sometimes dislike is just simply discovering the number of people who do not do their jobs well and i wouldn't even say this specifically to ge i guess that's a that's something that happens in extremely large organizations it is easy to get lost in the crowd and unless somebody comes and finds out exactly what you're doing and whether you're doing it to expectations or not the individual impact might be low your manager might still give you an okay rating but an organization impact that that individual might be creating because of not doing the job well is huge right. it is just disappointing sometimes to discover that there was this one job you had and you did not do it well that you required an internal body to come to a fact finding and tell you that dude you're not doing your job so that kind of sucks sometimes but at the same time it's just fascinating to see the human condition and how we just treat work as a concept yeah well i guess that's a completely different discussion altogether but i i, I see your point i think that's something which is a problem in many many big companies and even medium sized companies i guess that's probably why most of these large corporations are scared of startups not because startups are making something completely new they are just more dedicated and more efficient that's than true. large lumbering corporations But I guess both of these have their place in the world. Uh, both of them are going to be around for a pretty long time. All right. So, in your opinion, what kind of person do you think will enjoy himself or herself in this job? Uh, in ID audit specifically. You definitely have to be extremely technology minded, willing to learn new technology at the same time well grounded to quickly understand the status of what enterprise IT looks like. specific to ge if you are in the it audit function you are by default a part of the audit staff so all of the logistical constraints come in you have to be on the road all the time you should be okay with traveling a lot and you should be willing to spend 3 weeks in a month disconnected from the world in the sense that you actually do not find time to call your near and dear ones sometimes 
So, and this is something which I just thought of uh, while you were describing the audit function uh, and asking as a layman, do you think this job is more suited for someone who has a nose for what could be wrong? Let's say technology-wise, you're very strong and you understand it. But maybe let's say you're very optimistic in life in general. <laughs> and this might sound like a silly question, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh Okay, so I wouldn't use the optimistic and pessimistic <laughs> allegory here. I would rather use the word if you are naturally curious. Because whatever is wrong from an IT audit perspective or from an organizational risk perspective, that is very clearly outlined. That is found out in enterprise-wide risk reviews. That whatever the key risks are would be very clearly enumerated. Cybersecurity, critical IT systems, uh, data centers, these are known risks. Now, the IT auditor would have to be curious to be able to understand the risk, break it down, and actually figure out how do I fix this problem. Not from a generic high level where you say, okay, cybersecurity is a risk. I understand that's a risk. What is the impact of that risk? How can I break that down and how can I solve for more secure situation? Mm -hmm. So the best IT auditors that you may have worked with, what do you see them do differently? Mm -hmm. Let me think about this one. So the best IT auditors are, as I said, naturally curious. They do a lot of external research. So when they're not doing this crazy job on you know, three weeks out of four weeks in a month, they are reading, they're keeping themselves updated, not just from you know popular media articles. These people spend time researching how enterprise IT is working in other companies, what are the new technologies that are coming out. And they're continuously contextualizing this research to the enterprise risk and company priorities that we see internally. Mm -hmm. So they're always up to date. Yeah, they're always up to date with the most recent happenings in technology. And not just technology, also most up to date in terms of what are the risks around the world. These are the people you would find following all sorts of major developer conferences, and they, they would be falling on all sorts of IT development, not just from a, a startup newsworthy perspective, but what the larger IT vendors of the world are doing from Microsoft to Oracle, how they're coming up with new technology, what impact does it have on the way we do business versus competitors do business. And at the same time, you would have to be very business savvy. Because if you go talk to the CEO of a company or rather the CEO of a PNL within GE, you're not just telling him IT problems, you're contextualizing IT problems to the point where you can direct business priorities. You should be cognizant in the world of the business vocabulary. You should be able to connect issues to, to the real world problems. Because if I go tell a CEO that, you know what, your ERP might not be working correctly, he wouldn't care unless you contextualize it by saying that if your ERP doesn't work correctly, these are the orders you cannot ship, you're looking at a potential revenue loss of a billion dollars. You should be able to connect that chain and do the end-to-end -end calculations. Right, right. And for that, you require a strong business sense. Okay. So, usually, what are the resources that uh, someone might use to actually learn about all that is happening in the industry and specific to this space? So, as I mentioned, the developer conferences are definitely the cutting-edge uh, technology exposure. Can you name some which you that, really like? I, I definitely follow the Salesforce Developer Conference every year. 
the Oracle conference that that's again annual, I guess. Yep. So they come up with their new technologies. Uh, same with SAP. I'm usually curious about the Microsoft updates to the world as well. And at the same time, you're keeping a, an eye out to the non-enterprise IT that is happening and what kind of potential that might have. So the Apples and the Blackberries of the world and how that might change the way we use devices in our company. Even that is fascinating to follow. Right. Okay. That makes sense. And is there something like a typical background for someone in this role? Usually, a large pipeline of this role comes from internal leadership programs, primarily the IT leadership program and the operations leadership program. That is just to make life easier for the auditors who come in here that for two years, they're already contextualized with GE. It's just less steep of a learning curve when it comes to figuring out how the organization functions. But that said, a typical background would be a certain amount of experience in enterprise IT systems. Okay. But let's say you're still a student then I guess you have to first get uh, an engineering degree, right? Can you have any other kind of educational background also? Sure. Uh, an engineering degree is no longer a mandate for being an expert in technology. That's so 10 years ago. I feel old. <laughs> okay. All right. So you can, you can have any kind of like a strongly, by technical, I don't mean engineering, but like even economics or something will work? Yep. Okay. Any sort of a technology slash business focused degree, there are newer degrees that are around like you know, management information systems, there are IT degrees today, which talk specifically about you know enterprise IT, but I would not limit it to IT and technology degrees, as long as you have a, a rigorous degree that has grounded you well in curious thinking process, that's the basic requirement, a certain amount of experience with uh, enterprise IT is definitely a plus. But I have had peers who came fresh out of school, having done a bachelor's in physics. Let's get into a little bit of the interview and the application process. So, first of all, what are the interviews like? And I think over here it might be interesting to learn both interviews for just the IT auditing function itself. And then maybe you can also briefly touch upon interviews for the leadership right, program. So, okay. Well, I'll first do the audit function interviews, this job offer is not just based on an interview. And this again, the first I've seen and only in GE, you are allowed a pilot. So say you're working in the company at a different position in a different place, you wish to apply for the audit staff. So you go through a series of approvals from your managers that I want to go apply for audit staff. And then you're required to have at least two executive sponsors, somebody who can vouch for you, say, yeah, this is, he's a smart guy, might make a good fit to audit staff. Those kind of letters of recommendations need to be written. And then one, one of the senior managers from audit staff would uh, go through a couple of interviews with you. The interviews are not super technical. Again, they're primarily probing for your thought process. As I said earlier, you have to be naturally curious and you have to be very logical in arriving at conclusions. Mm-hmm. This is more of a logical reasoning kind of an interview where contextualize again to real world GE problems because assume you've been working with GE for a certain amount of time these are the things you would probably understand they have questions similar to the ones you asked a little while ago give me an example of a very challenging role that you worked on what were the problems how did you solve them kind of a screening interview got it well I'm sorry I put you through a job interview right now (laughs) but anyway yeah that's 
That's fine. After this interview, what you're offered is not a job on the audit staff. You're offered an opportunity to pilot with the audit staff. This is a one-month stint where you are plugged into one of the existing audit teams and you spend a month doing things that the audit team is doing. So you're part of the team for that one month. And this one month is for an assessment on how effectively do you actually fit into the audit staff? How well can you perform the roles expected of you? And it is also considered like an orientation for the person who is piloting, whether he or she is willing to live with this lifestyle, is willing to live with this kind of stress and willing to travel all the time. This gives them a a view into how this thing works. Mm -hmm. At the end of one month, I guess it's a mutual decision between the audit staff willing to hire the person and the person willing to be hired by audit staff. That's very interesting. But is this something which is specific to someone who's working inside GE? Or is the pilot also there for someone who's applying from outside the company? Traditionally, the audit staff recruitment has happened internally. They have had a bunch of external hires. Uh, I've said that we have hired most of our pipeline internally. There are a bunch of really great external hires that the audit staff has had. Uh, the logistical challenge there is simply that you are already working somewhere and you wish to apply for, say, the audit staff. How do you get a month-long leave to come pilot with us? That is a logistical challenge, but people figure out ways to get over that. We have had, had a bunch of external applications and people piloting. The people who come from the outside of GE, they know they're putting a lot of things at risk, so they usually qualify their pilots with flying colors. But it is, it is a major effort from the applicant's perspective to figure out the logistics of a month-long stint with a completely different company, right, right. not just an interview. That is true. So the person, like, for example, you mentioned that you've had a couple of people who have been hired straight out of college, like the guy with a bachelor's in physics. So he also mm-hmm. did a pilot then? Uh, so when I meant straight out of college... Uh, it would be like straight out of college hired in one of the GE leadership programs. Oh, right. Okay. Spent, spent two years there. I, that was more a comment on the background. So these are people with non-IT degrees. Right, right, right. Okay. That's still a part of that makes sense. staff. Okay. Yeah. So, but within the corporate audit staff itself, mostly people are either internal to GE and even the external ones have had to go through the pilot before they're given an offer. Oh, yes. Okay. Anybody who wants to join the audit staff has to go through a pilot. Right. Okay. And then maybe you can briefly touch upon the interview process for the leadership program. The leadership program interviews are usually graduating students at various campuses. And the GE has a very large campus engagement program where they look at a certain set of Ivy League institutions where they're looking to hire their leadership employees from. That interview is more traditional in nature, I guess, than the audit staff interview I just outlined. It's usually a group discussion. And then you spend some time with an engagement ambassador. You know, you talk about what you want to do versus... So this is not an interview. This is more of a conversation. So you're spending time with the engagement ambassador and trying to tell them what you're looking for. And uh, the person would probably outline what GE is looking for. And after that, you go through a formal interview, which is conducted by an HR representative from the company and a senior member from the leadership function that you're applying for. So if I were applying for an ITLP program, I would probably be interviewed by a CIO of the company or, or the CIO of the PNL. And if I were, say, applying for a, the finance leadership program, the chief controller of the company or the FPNL leader of the company might be interviewing you. The interviews, again, range from subject matter expertise to critical thinking and problem solving. 
uh, it's equally divided between subject matter expertise for sure also critical thinking mm-hmm. so are there any resources that you might recommend to a potential job applicant think about this one so if i were looking specifically to the it leadership program that i can speak from experience you'd be potentially looking at the again keeping updated from just the new enterprise technology that is around so you should know how a traditional ERP system would work or how a traditional project life cycle management system would work or an engineering system works not really requiring you to be a technical expert in the area but you should know how these technologies function on a large enough enterprise which would mean essentially going through a bunch of introductory material that can be found on the websites of almost all key enterprise IT vendors that would be a great source definitely follow up on you know, major conferences and the releases of software that around the world so as i mentioned earlier dreamforce and oracle and sap they have conferences which has videos online about the proceedings of the conference and if you're specifically applying to ge spend time and subscribe to the ge twitter handle and the ge video handles on youtube these might be interesting resources and usually what is the best way to apply so i'm sure one channel is just through campus recruitment which is a straightforward process but if you're not on campus then is it through a referral or do you apply on the website both so if if you are on a campus the traditional recruitment process would be a go to answer look for the engagement ambassador on your campus schedules and you'll be able to find a ge recruiter for sure if you are looking for a lateral hire referrals are usually the way to go it's just easier to get insight into what kind of jobs are available and then uh, how you can apply for that specifically the audit staff we do have openings every quarter but if you can find somebody within the audit staff to help refer you that would be the easiest go to answer uh, these jobs are definitely posted on the website you can apply from the website as well right 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 all right thanks a lot anish this was super super helpful and honestly quite interesting also i learned about a completely different function today so thanks for that any other advice that you'd like to share with someone who is interested in this role or potentially considering this role i wouldn't have any specific advice i guess but i would definitely recommend this role to the naturally curious and adventurous and yet looking to be a part of a large corporation traditionally the new generation who's the adventurous would want to go work in the silicon valley but that said this job i guess is equally exciting if not more in terms of the challenges you work with in terms of the diversity of experience we get this is a great adventure from a personal perspective this is probably one of the best learning experiences i could have had asked for uh, not to mention you know the, the diversity in travel diversity of people i work with I mean, I, i've never worked in a team with less than three nationalities <laughs> that's fun All right, thanks a lot Anish. This was great, very helpful. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. It was fun to talk about my job. I guess I haven't thought about it in this length for quite some time. <laughs> All right. Okay, I'm glad you found it helpful. Take care, bye. Bye. So that was Anish Dubey with a very detailed account of what a job in IT audit is all about. I hope you found today's episode helpful. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes. It is called Learn, Educate, Discover. Also, if you like what we are doing, please do rate the show on iTunes. It tells us that someone out there is enjoying what we are doing. As always, if you have any feedback to share with us, 
or if you have suggestions on professions that we should include in our upcoming episodes, please do share your ideas with us. You can email us at learneducatediscover at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at LED underscore curator. Show notes from today's episode, as well as links to resources mentioned by Anish, will be posted to our blog. You can find our blog at medium.com forward slash at LED underscore curator. So that's it for today. Until the next one, adios.